Do you ever remember getting a gift that just served you so well and you remember it 20 years later? Do you ever remember getting a gift that you hardly used? (laughs) Do you recall racking your mind, maybe it's a certain, a special day for a certain person, you know, what could I give them? It seems to me that there are some people that are gifted gift givers. They just know how to give gifts. And I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they think so, uh, so well. And some of us just uh, maybe are not real good or maybe not gifted gift givers. Well, I, I thought I was thinking as I prepared this message of a few gifts that were given to, to us, to Joyce and I. And I mean, just maybe little things, but Joyce's parents had this custom when their children had their first child, they went and got them uh, one of those red express wagons, okay? I'm telling you, that gift still is used like none other. I don't know how many times we used that express wagon. I mean, the children did some amazing things with that wagon, some dangerous things with that wagon, but it was a very, uh, very, it was a gift that was well utilized. Uh, somebody gave us, uh, uh, actually, when we got married, somebody gave us just a little, I guess you call it a foot bench, just a, just a little bench, and uh, that became a staple <laughs> in our house. I mean, how many times we used the bench? Somebody gave us, uh, when I forget which child was born, maybe third, fourth, uh, somebody gave us a, a bench to put at the table. And some of those things were just so utilized. It was so fitting, just so a good gift. Somebody gave my wife uh, a devotional book. That was while we were in Grenada that had a Bible reading plan in. And to this day, 25 years later, I think uh, she has used that Bible reading plan. And what's my point? My point is there are some really, really good gifts. And some of us maybe don't really know how to give really, really good gifts. What I'd like to emphasize this morning that we have a Heavenly Father that knows how to give really, really, really good gifts. And if I would ask you what is the greatest gift that God, that the, God the Father has given, uh, there would be probably numerous answers. Uh, we, there's, a, there's a certain text that I was tempted to use as a text, but... Something about thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. So, I mean, if I would open it up and say, tell me about what what gifts the Father has given. I mean, we could go on and on to the physical, uh, into the spiritual, but God's Son is a gift. God, it's unspeakable that God gave us his own Son. The gift of salvation what a gift 
just to be able to come to God and be adopted into his family because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and we become a child of God and we set on a journey through a very difficult world that's just a gift that we could come into the family but we still have a journey to go and God knows that and he gave the perfect gift for every one of us to make it safely through and on home to glory to be with him and that precisely is the gift of the Holy Spirit and I wonder when the last time you thanked God for the gift of the Holy Spirit and I wonder how often I have thanked God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can turn with me to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. It says, Peter, this is after the Holy Spirit had worked in the hearts of people after the sermon. Peter said, uh, actually the crowd said, what do we do? They were so smitten and pricked in their hearts. In verse 38, Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission or forgiveness of sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost it's a gift and I just want to emphasize that it's a gift you don't work for the gift you don't seek and seek and go through all kinds of rituals for the gift there's people that are doing that they're looking for the gift and they're going through seminar after seminar ritual after ritual this and that for the gift they're seeking it's a gift. God the Father is a perfect father. And when we come into the family through repentance and confession and belief in him, he's, giving a, he's going to give a gift. And it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I am just so blessed, excited to just, uh, just meditate a little bit this morning for a message on the gift that is given to you as a child of God. Well, incidentally, today is Pentecost. I'm wondering how many of us got up and said to our loved ones in the family, Happy Pentecost! You know, maybe that's not, maybe, maybe that's not even appropriate to do that. I don't know. But we do that for so many holidays, right? Happy Mother's Day and Happy Father's Day and Happy uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Thanksgiving and... Uh, Maybe we should develop something about praise God for the gift. <laughs> Today's Pentecost. Well, I'd like to just share a few thoughts on, on the Holy Spirit. And I, I trust that it is going to, number one, make us grateful for the gift. Okay? Grateful for the gift. Secondly, sensitive to the gift. Imagine if you had a child that has no geographical concept at all, okay? Uh, go to Walmart, and Walmart's one mile that way, and they drive 50 miles that way. Well, some of us are close to that, right? And some of us know people that maybe are not quite that uh, uh, geographically illiterate. But you, and you give them a gift of a a GPS. Now, before everybody had Google Maps on their cell phone, some of us, uh, for our work 
used those little devices we had set up on our dashes called Garmin GPSs. And there was a few other brands as well. well take me back a couple years, right? That's ancient. So you got your child this gift of a GPS and they, maybe they even plugged it in, wouldn't listen to it. They simply would not listen to it. Turn right in, in one-fourth of a mile. Nah. Or just disregard the, the, the voice. Uh, that would be a little bit, little bit frustrating, right? And I wonder sometimes if that's how God the Father, the perfect Father, feels towards some of us when we are not sensitive to his gift. So I want, to be, I want us to be grateful for the gift and sensitive to the gift. And maybe understand the gift a bit. So in Acts chapter 2, it says when the day of Pentecost, I'm backing up to verse 1, was fully come, they were with one accord in one place, and there suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all that were in that filled the house where they were sitting, and it appeared unto them as cloven tongues, like as fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues, that means other languages, and as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation and under heaven, and when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, and they were confounded, because every man heard them speak in his own language and they were amazed and marveled saying one to another behold are not all these which speak Galileans and how can we hear every man in his own tongue wherein we were born and then it lists a lot of the countries and uh, languages that were, were spoken and they concluded this is, this is just a wonderful work of God and that's another thing the Holy Spirit does the Holy Spirit will empower a person uh, for a specific for, for a specific purpose whenever he chooses. It is such a gift. Well, a little bit about the word Pentecost. It simply means 50th, okay? And I'm not going to go into a, a study on the, the various feasts in, in Israel, but if you will, take a note of Leviticus 23. If you will, read through Leviticus 23 sometime, and it talks about the various feasts of the Lord, and it says, you shall uh, uh, proclaim them at the appointed times. And you will find, number one, the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the First Fruits, the Feast of the Feast of Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks, and then the Feast of Trumpets, and then the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of the Tabernacles. Well, the Feast of the Passover, I'm not going to elaborate on Passover much, except for let your mind just go back there a minute. Wow, the innocent lamb was killed. They took the blood and put it on the doorposts and the death angel passed over. And amazing story. Inci no, not incidentally. It was by providence that Jesus died on the Passover. He died on that day. Passover was Friday. Then it was the unleavened bread. Then it was the first fruits. And it, 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 it gives me goosebumps as I just think about this in the Old Testament, perfect pictures pointing forward to what the big deal, if you will. The first fruits. 
that was the day after the Sabbath. On the first day of the week, the farmers would go out and collect their, their first fruits from a, from a few spots in the field, bring them in, and it was basically proof for the harvest to come. Uh, now, is it, ironic, is it coincidence that that's the day that Jesus would rise from the dead on the first day of the week? becoming the first fruits of the resurrection, I scarce can take it in. And then, 50 days, get this, 50 days after the feast of the Passover was the feast of Pentecost, or the feast of weeks. And not only, they would not only go out and collect the, the sheaves to wave them uh, as the day after the Passover Sabbath, but they would grind them up and they would make two loaves of bread with yeast. Uh, I would suggest significance from the ground up and we're uh, significance of just of being ground up and fitly joined together into one loaf and this was with yeast and then it would, it would rise. I, I am just so convinced there's so much symbolism in some of the Old Testament, Testament weeks. And then, uh, then it's the Feast of the Trumpet. I conclude, uh, I would contend that this is a, a future event. Does the Bible say anything about the trumpet sounding? And, wow. Anyway, that's, I said enough about the Feast of the, the, the various feasts, but read through Leviticus 23 sometime in, a, in your meditation uh, time and, and be blessed. So come back to Pentecost. It says when it was fully come, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. And now we're talking about God's timetable. You know, I know God has a timetable. We have calendars, we have schedules, we have timetables, but God's got a timetable. And sometimes we forget God's timetable, and we think our timetable is Trump. But God's timetable is really what dictates all of history. So, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were together with one accord, one place, and suddenly, and sometimes if you want another study, uh, take the word suddenly, and note how many times God moved suddenly. That's a very interesting word. Suddenly. I think it was 41 times in the Bible. Suddenly. Suddenly there was with the angel. Paul came to Damascus. Suddenly. Suddenly an earthquake. Uh, watch. Lest he coming. He suddenly finds you sleeping. Mark 13. Well, God's spirit came and empowered the believers. And in this case, they spent languages they did not know. And that's just what happened in this time. It's, uh, somebody once told me that be very careful when you take the book of Acts and develop doctrine from it. Now, I do believe that all Bible is inspired, but it's kind of like if everybody would just take a history story and say this is the way it has to happen every time, uh, we could make some very interesting doctrines out of the book of Acts. We could say that it is uh, important that two people have arguments when they, uh, you know, I'm talking about Paul and Barnabas had their, uh, had their, their argument. Uh, I think it's just important that we we're careful. And the reason I'm saying that, when it comes to the subject of the Holy Spirit, there are very, uh, there are doctrines that are not, there are not, uh, 
founded in the clear New Testament teaching. Okay? Somebody once wisely told me, when you get doctrine, you go to the words of Jesus and the epistles, and just be careful that you just use history stories to build doctrine. Anyway, uh, clear Testament, New Testament teaching in the epistles and the words of Jesus is always a very safe place to, to build doctrine. Well, uh, I'm going to drop back into John 16. When you talk about Pentecost, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, this is one of my favorites, and it's because I guess it's so simple to me, and sometimes I, I think in one of my Bibles I wrote Holy Spirit 101. Just such basic uh, uh, teaching about the Holy Spirit that just makes so much sense to me. In John chapter 16, I'd like to just read a few verses. John chapter 16, and these are beautiful verses. It's actually an emotional setting, by emotional meeting, by the way. The disciples were very sad. Jesus told them that he's leaving, but he said, I'm going uh, to go, but I'm going to send you a comforter. And you could make many adjectives or uh, any, you could give the Holy Spirit several names. You could call him the comforter, you could call him a guide, you could call him a, uh, a helper, and so on. There are so many different, different names you could give to the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, somebody, somebody else told me something very good about the Holy Spirit. He said, the adjective is important. There are many spirits in the world, right? Jesus himself told his disciples one time, he said, you don't know what spirit you're speaking of right now. So there's so many spirits in the world. And maybe, maybe the most important we can learn about the Holy Spirit is the adjective for the spirit. And it's holy. And there are some things and some activities that are ascribed to God's spirit that aren't holy. And the Holy Spirit will always make a person holy. So, join me at John 16, verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is, this is, this is true. It's expedient, and that means better. You're better off. It's necessary for you that I go away. And if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he's come... He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth is come, I'm sorry, how be it? When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever you shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, you shall see me because I go to the Father. Okay, that's an awesome, great passage on the Holy Spirit. And 
I should have just backed up into John 15 and just got a few nuggets. Context is so important. John 15, the subject is, I want you to bear fruit. Remember I said we're dropping into an emotional meeting? It is. Jesus is leaving, and sometimes I marvel. John 13, John 14, John 15, John 16, John 17, all the way into John 18 are almost all red words in my Bible, words of Christ. So Jesus is just pouring out before he goes. John 15, he says, I want you to bear fruit. And then in, in, uh, after that, he says, I want you to be secure in my love. I love you. And if you keep my commandments, if you obey me, that is going to bring a love like you have no idea. That's the foundation of love, in other words. And then he says, I'm going to call you my friends. Then he says, the world's going to hate you. Uh, the world will hate you. But when the comforter is come, uh, I'm the second last verse in John 15. I'm just doing this too fast, okay? John 15, 26. But when the comforters come, so he's talking about the Holy Spirit. This is all uh, context for the beautiful passage on what I call Holy Spirit 101. Simple truths about the Holy Spirit. So let me just stop right there and just, just reinforce it. You know it, but just reinforce it. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. Uh, I don't, if you're living a genuine, authentic Christian life, you are not going to be in friendship with the world and its system. You won't. We don't like that. We want to find a way to be comfortable in the world, that the world can accept us. If we're going to live authentic, carry out all the obedience, I mean, carry out all the commandments in obedience of the scripture, Jesus, there's going to be tension. There will be tension. So the world will hate you. That's what it says. Did the world hate Jesus? Absolutely. And he was kind, compassionate, lowly, but always full of grace and truth. It was the truth part that caused the hate. Jesus stood. He never compromised one time. He never compromised. And that produced tension, conflict. So, I mean, he, did, he said there's only one way, not two. Not, there's, there's one way to the Father. There's not many ways. Many roads lead to the same place. No, one way. There's two builders, one wise, one foolish. That one was... That basically summarizes the wise builder simply practiced obedience and the foolish builder didn't. There were ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. Jesus was not tolerant. And we live in an in a era that worships tolerance. Well, comforter. The Holy Spirit's a comforter. And I, I, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to assume that every one of us sitting here are authentic. We're, we're genuine. We're real. There isn't one compromise in our bones. And you know what I'm, you, you, it, it resonates. You get it. You totally get it. It doesn't mean we have enemies everywhere we go. But there's we understand that there's a, there's, a, there's a kingdom of the world and there's a kingdom of God. And there's, 
I'm going to assume that you, there's a, just, it, there's a resonation of comfort. In fact, you even maybe this week embraced something and the Holy Spirit comforted you. Beautiful. The Holy Spirit's a comforter. In verse, nine, verse 8, it says, when he's come, he will reprove the world of sin. And the, world, the word reprove could just as well say convict. In fact, your Bible may have a side note there, convict. And maybe if it's another version, it may even use the word convict. Reprove, convict. There's three things that the Holy Spirit will always convict of. Remember I said Holy Spirit 101? This is so basic. This is foundational stuff that, you, that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. He will convict the world of sin. Initially and experientially. When you come to God and be a, for adoption into the family, however you want to say it, becoming a Christian, becoming born again, coming to the end of yourself, coming to the cross, what's the subject? The subject's sin without fail. No one comes to the cross without a heaviness of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Peter stood up and he preached. What happened? They were convicted of sin. This is so basic. The Holy Spirit will always convict of sin. Some hate conviction. Some love it. I want to I want to emphasize the fact conviction from the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift you could ever experience ever. It's a personal voice from God. Conviction is always clear. There's a lot of voices in the world and sometimes it gets confusing. There's verses about, you know, accuser of the brethren. And there's a verses that say, who is he that condemneth? There's a, there's a voice of condemnation. There's a voice of accusation. And then there's a voice of conviction. And the voice of the Spirit will always be clear. He doesn't, he doesn't put a cloud over the, you that you just feel like trash. He says, initially, he'll convict you of sin. And if you're a child of God and you're walking with him and you sin, he'll show you right what you... It, it, it's not a you feeling like a failure. He'll say, you, you know this is an issue in your life. You know it. And that's a gift. He'll reprove the world of sin. Conviction is always clear. It's not foggy. It's not, a, it's not, a, uh, not an accusation. Remember when God came to Adam after, in the garden, Genesis 3? God didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a cloud of condemnation. It was so clear. Where are you? Who are you listening to? Did you eat of the tree? Did, in other words, did you do exactly what you knew you should have done? It, no no, no uh, general cloud of accusation. Clear. The Holy Spirit will always reprove the world of sin. Holy Spirit 101. Secondly, 
Oh, we could talk about response to that too. There's two groups of people that I said some some appreciate the voice, some don't. Some run from it, some hide, like in the garden. They ran, they hid, and there's guilt, there's shame, and all that. That's that's the life of not listening to God's voice. Guilt, shame. That's what the devil. Fear. That's what the devil has to offer. <clears throat> there's basically two groups of people, two two ways to respond, and the and the one way is. Uh, confessing or agreeing with the truth. Confess simply means say the same. Just say it the way it is. That's what the word confess means. Uh, Agreeing with the truth. And then there are others that deny it and hiding. Sin's power is secrecy. And when secrecy is lost, sin's bondage is greatly weakened. So sin. Secondly, righteousness. The Holy Spirit's going to not only reprove the world of sin, but he's going, there's going to be that inner witness that says, that's right, that's right. Did you ever look at somebody's life? That's, that's just right, that's right. That's, there's something right about that. There's right. that's, that's according to what Jesus said here. If I go, uh, it's better for you. It's better, you'll be better off if I go. I'll send you the Holy Spirit. He'll show you what's wrong. He'll show you what's right. And it'll be an inner voice. That says, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right perfect standard because the perfect standard is no longer here the perfect standard left but now we have the perfect standard in us that's right that's right that's right that's right so the holy spirit will always say what's wrong and what's right and then the holy spirit will also of judgment verse 11 because the prince of the world is judged so the the holy spirit will always give us that inner sense of there is consequences to your choice that's the whole, I so vividly remember at 12 years old waking up in the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep. I, I, to my knowledge, that was the first time I just had a real understanding of sin. And I, I had such a vivid picture of judgment. In fact, I didn't, I didn't really relish the thought of getting up at 4 a.m. every morning to help my, my dad milk the cows. That was standard in my house. But this was one day that I just longed for it to be 4 a.m. I, I just wanted to get out in the barn and just, just wash this thing away. Well, unfortunately, I did wash it away for about 10 years. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit didn't speak to me, but as I look back over my journey, I so vividly remember that 12-year-old conviction. And then later, it was probably about 20 years old when it just it came again. It just like, and I'm not saying that I didn't position myself. Very likely, it's because I didn't position myself to listen to uh, truth and so on. But my point: the Holy Spirit will always show what's wrong. He'll show you what's right, and he will give you that conscious awareness of there is a price to pay. There, there is, and sometimes I have limited this to, to uh, judgment. You know, I remember preaching through this text once, and I just gave about a 15-minute uh, exhortation on hell, and I have no apologies for doing that. But just as equal... I believe the judgment, it does, it does talk about the devil being judged here. Uh, the prince of the world is judged in verse 11, so I think there is an element of that kind of judgment. But I, I believe it's just as fair to say that the Holy Spirit will, will give you that inner witnesses that there, there's, 
you stand for what's right, you listen to the Holy Spirit, you walk in the right way, there, there's some real rewards as well. And I think the Holy Spirit un, unveils heaven to the believer. And he unveils the, the joys of, of uh, a life of obedience. So, again, real simple. The Holy Spirit will tell you what's wrong. He'll tell you what's right. And he'll, tell, he'll, he'll, he'll give you a witness of there are consequences. You go the wrong way, there's consequences. You go the right way, there is wonderful consequences. I, I'm going to assume that we're all being comforted and being convicted of sin, of uh, of righteousness and of, ju- and of judgment. But it is very possible that some of us may have sinned. And it's so important that we are very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So two more, two more things out of this text that I'd like to, to pull. In verse 13, it says, He will guide you into all truth. And I just want to emphasize that again. We, we live in a... Somebody said it to Sunday school, or maybe Mike said a noisy world. We live in a voice of so many voices. And it is so important that we get quiet enough to hear the still, small voice. God doesn't often speak, at least to me, in a thunder and a lightning and a flash. And a, I'm not going to limit God to speak. He can speak however he wants. He can make a donkey talk if he wants to. He can speak however he wishes. But most time, I mean, in the scriptures, we're told that there's a still, small voice. And sometimes we don't get quiet enough to listen to it. And he's our guide. The Holy Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. And I don't know about you, but I want that and you want it too. We're talking about the gift of the Spirit. He's, it, it, he is such a gift. And he's a person. He'll guide into all truth, and he will always glorify Jesus. Did you, did you catch that? Verse 14, he will always glorify Jesus. He actually, I think I can say it like this. He's a little uncomfortable. He doesn't like the attention. He wants Jesus to get all the attention. So when you hear too much hype and noise about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, I wonder sometimes if it actually is the, the, the correct adjective, the Holy Spirit. There is going to be so much emphasis on Jesus Christ, the pattern of righteousness, and a living like him, living for him. That's what Jesus said. He won't speak of himself. He'll speak. He will always glorify Jesus. Well, we could go to Romans 8. And we could learn that there's no condemnation if you walk in the Spirit. We would learn that there is, if we do not have the Spirit, we're none of His. That's what it says. We would learn that we would mortify the deeds of the flesh through the Spirit. We would learn that those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. We would learn that there's a, there's a Spirit in us that bears witness that we're God's child. And we would also learn that he groans within, inside, eagerly waiting for the redemption of the body. There's something within that says, I just want an atmosphere that's perfect and right. There's a groaning. 
even creation groans with it, it says, and we would also learn that he will help our infirmities. So praise God for the gift of the Spirit. Praise his name. Thank you, God, for giving us that perfect gift. He knows exactly what we need. We're set off on a journey. We're equipped to make it. One more thing. He's a person. Don't ever forget it. And a person has feelings. And that is why there is scripture that says, don't resist the spirit. There's another verse that says, don't grieve the spirit. He's a person. He can be grieved. It's kind of like if you would tell somebody to do something over and over again, they just don't do it and don't do it. Oh, yeah, I'll do it. But they never do it. They never do it. He's like, I give up. I think that's exactly what happens. You know, there's a controversy about theology, or I should say soteriology, a study of, study of salvation. And there's a school of thought that believes you can never, ever, ever, uh, your, your salvation can never, ever be undone. Then there's another, it's called, it's called uh, unconditional eternal security. Okay? Then there's another school of thought that says th- there's eternal security, yes, but there's conditions. I actually think it can be simplified in the Holy Spirit. I, I think it can be simplified to you will, your salvation is secure as long as you walk in the Spirit and don't grieve the Spirit and you would never quench the Spirit. Those are all verses that are just so clear in the Scripture. Resisting, grieving, quenching. And I guess I would believe that when a, the Spirit is quenched, well, there's some verses in Hebrews that I don't understand. I really don't. It talks about it. If a person goes so far, it'd be better off. It's impossible for him to come back. I, I would never tell a person he's there. But I do believe that, the, I believe it's okay to be aware of a road that's a very dangerous road. And at some point, it seems to me that the Spirit of God can be quenched. That means put out. That means all sensitivity for sin is gone. Just a careless, carefree, and I would hope that we know no one in that camp. I've told this story before, but kind of bears the point, and I want to, in closing, say it again. I remember going through American history when I was teaching at Lebanon Valley School, and I was fascinated with some of the historic, the, the stories in history. I still, I'm just really disappointed with myself that I waited to be, be about 35 years old until I enjoyed history. <laughs> if you're a young person, don't make that same mistake. Enjoy history now. I remember reading some of the stories of history, but one story in history just fascinated me. And then I, then you get more details to stories. You know, you might hear a story, and then you get more details to, to a story. It's like Wow. You know a man, or maybe you don't, his name is Aaron Burr. And Alexander Hamilton, if you're in American history and you read that story recently, they had a, it's a sad story, but they had a conflict and they had a duel. They both showed up with guns. They're going to fight this out with a gun. And it's a fact. Aaron Burr took Alexander Hamilton's life. That's a sad story, but what's much sadder if you get the, the back, I would I'd say the back story. 
Aaron Burr was at Princeton at a university, and there was a revival. There was, there was, there was a, a, a worship service where God was speaking to people's lives, and he was under conviction. God spoke to Aaron Burr, but Aaron Burr said no. In fact, Aaron Burr got up out of his seat in the church, and he walked out the back door, and he looked up to God, and he said, God, leave me alone. Fast forward to when Aaron Burr was an old man. His grandchild came to him and said, Grandpa, I got a story to tell you. I gave my life to God. I, I... Aaron Burr got angry and he said, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I kind of know what you're talking about. That happened to me. And I didn't like it. God wanted my life and I didn't want to give it to him. And I went outside of that uh, assembly room and I looked up to God and I said, God, leave me alone. Don't talk to me like that again or don't convict me again, whatever his words were. And then here's what's, here's what's amazing. He said to his granddaughter, he said, and God did exactly what I asked him to do. In other words, God didn't convict him again. And there he was. Let's be really grateful for the Holy Spirit, and let's also be very, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He's a guide, he's a comforter, he reproves us of what's wrong, what's right, consequences, don't grieve him, don't resist him, thank God for him, it's what we need. It's the gift that's gonna get us through, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So today's Pentecost, uh, take a few moments in your quiet time and just praise God for the unspeakable gift. Let's all stand for a closing prayer. Father God, we come in your presence again as a body of believers, as a church family, and we're here to say thank you for being our Father. Thank you for giving us your Son, and thank you for giving us your precious Holy Spirit. We treasure him. We commit to be sensitive to him. Thank you so much for the gift of the Spirit. And Lord, we know that you will empower us to do amazing things by the power and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some things that, if we need to, we could even speak another language. We could do amazing things, but it's simply because of your power working through us. Thank you again for the gift. Dismiss us with your blessing and make us very sensitive and grateful for the gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you're dismissed. Uh, if you have a song after that, you can consider yourself dismissed.